outside the Sydney Opera House, listening to uh, Richard Spencer talk to philosopher David Skirbina. Yeah, I go inside and maybe you know, get to the Bible or the kind of basic Jewish goodness. Um, maybe that'll serve two or three purposes. I, I can guess that kind of thing was maybe going on in Paul's mind. You don't know how much he was really planning. You know, a lot of this kind of, I don't know, you know, maybe it's sort of spun out of control. It was kind of, you know, ran away from him. It's hard to tell with Paul because it's such a sketchy theology. And all the, all the details that we know don't come until later. So Paul either didn't know or really maybe had nothing to do with all, all the later details about what the, the meek Jesus did and said. I mean, there's none of that in Paul. Right? right. It's just the Savior's here. He died. You, and he went to heaven. And you, you could go to heaven too. Very bare bones. But, you know, even that, even, even that was enough to, A, get you opposed to the Roman pantheon, Roman theology. Yeah. And B, according to Nietzsche, I mean, that, that alone was a highly destructive move because now suddenly the, the, your, your real world, your saved world is in the beyond. It's right. after you die. This world is kind of the pain and suffering and you're carrying your cross with Jesus and you're suffering like him and maybe you're dying on the cross or whatever. So this world is a nasty, ugly, suffering place and the next world is a good place. And that's what you're looking forward to. And, and um, both Schopenhauer and Nietzsche kind of said, well, look, this is a highly destructive view of life. I mean, you're supposed to be a creature. Of- okay, so it's not just a highly destructive view of life. It has some upsides and downsides like everything else. So telling people that the next world will be much, much better, right, that's going to act as an opiate. That's going to reduce pain in this life. But it comes at a price that it makes this life less important. So people are likely to be less passionate about this life if they believe the next life is more important than this life. But it's also a very easy drug to sell. satisfied with how things are and not you every day is kind of a tribulation and a trial and suffering and pain and nastiness and you know maybe maybe i hope someday i'll be better when i'm gone so so both Schopenhauer and each said this is a highly life denying life negative view of the world because the true life is the afterlife it's not, right. it's not this world it's not here now it's the next one and that has all kinds of repercussions uh, about how you live your life and attitudes towards things other people and towards your own health and towards sickness i mean really very far-reaching consequences that i don't i suspect neither paul nor the gospel writers really really knew about it. i mean they just wanted it they I can't imagine if uh, people were at the Sydney Opera House on Sydney Harbour looking out at the beautiful Sydney Harbour Bridge, seeing all these happy, healthy people. I can't imagine that they'd primarily be looking forward to uh, the next life rather than this life. I think the more miserable you are, the more you're going to look forward to the next life. The happier you are, the more you want to make something of this life. Society over the years, I think that was to, to their credit, that's what both Schopenhauer and Nietzsche really, really latched onto it to really stress that point. Right. Well, what are some of those consequences? Because there, I, I think there, there are a lot of contradictions and intentions within Christianity. First off, what you were saying, and, and, and also what, what Nietzsche said about Christianity, I mean, this is obviously true. You're, you're rejecting the world. It's a veil of tears, and, and, et cetera. That, that's only an aspect of Christianity, right? That's the Hellenic mystery cult aspect of Christianity to reject this world. There are also this worldly affirmations of Christianity. The afterlife is for losers and puftas. God forbid, God forbid. And the chat says, I'm 24 years old. I have no friends, no future, no job skills. It's uh, time that I confront reality. Yes. And uh, you're already doing that, mate. i got great news for you. You're already confronting reality by what you just spelled out. If that's accurate, then you are well on the way towards embracing reality and therefore making progress to succeed in this world.
being Christian, whatever the cause might be, being Christian is directly correlated with having babies. Uh, well, that's a really interesting point because I think actually that's not true. Or that was actually, okay. I think it's a... So Christianity acts right now as a natalist movement, but you'll find plenty of things in the tradition, all right, that is anti-natalist, against having kids. So it varies. Very, well, relatively recent It's complicated. And there's some really interesting stuff, particularly in Schopenhauer. If you read his, the second volume of the book, Paragraph Parallel Omina, mm-hmm. which is really kind of a, uh, not a book, but Schopenhauer really does a, a, a really striking job. He argues that Paul was really anti-family, anti-natalist. And uh, Media Hits says, says there's no tide to fight against in Sydney. And Australia's had fairly rigorous immigration policies and so we don't have high rates of crime right? it's the best place in the world to be an average bloke so life is pretty good yeah but life isn't just theory right you got a theory that brings people together all right then it's already on its path to being natalist, right? You bring men and women together, they're going to copulate and have kids and they're going to form bonds and uh, build families. So it's about uh, 68 degrees and sunny this Friday afternoon. It is 3.15 p.m. in Australia. So here the philosopher is concentrating on the words and the theory, all right? But uh, words and theory are not necessarily the things that are most determinative, all right? Philosophers love words, academics love words. There's no November here, but there is still no nut November. Even though it's gorgeous, there's still a no nut November, guys. Uh, speaking as the no fat maximalist. Yeah, but uh, that's just the words, right? And the words don't mean nothing, but they're not necessarily determinative. There are things more important than words, such as the effects of words. It's, it's an interesting thing. If I was willing to, to screw up your society, I might try to say, God doesn't really want you to have children. He wants you to devote yourself to him. Be monk-like or be nun-like. What are those people? Why are they chased, right? Because that's part of the story. Well, somehow... Somehow, Christianity survived for 2,000 years because... It has been substantially natalist, despite these anti-natalist parts in its theory and scriptures. Being completely devoted to God and don't have sex and don't have kids. And that, I, I think that was a very strong argument. It really does a brilliant job of explaining that that was really there in, in all throughout, those, the, throughout the New Testament, really all aspects of the New Testament. It was only later, a couple hundred years later, when, when the, the, uh, the non-Jewish Christians figured out, like, hey, man, this is a losing strategy. We want a big religion. We want big families and lots of followers. So we got to drop that anti-natalist thing and start saying, hey, we need to have lots of kids. So we just sort of just push that all. Yeah, nonverbal cues hold more power than Bob's thrown in chat rooms. So words only account for about 10% of communication. 
Uh, what's much more important is the emotional state, the, the, the body language, all right, the, the context, all right. Words, words are only a minor part of communication. And all stuff at the side. They ignored what Paul said in the, in the Gospel letters, and they somehow out of the blue kind of told them, "I'll be fruitful and multiply." You know, they right. Old Testament stuff, and they yeah. applied it to New Testament, even though Jesus didn't say that. And then they turned it into a very, you know, family-friendly, big family, have all the kids, very Catholic kind of view. Yeah. It's not there in the original view, and that's, that accords with the Jesus hoax theory, which says it was kind of a Jewish kind of thing that was meant to undermine the pagan masses, and that's that's a good way to do it. Get them to not have good relationships, get them to not have sex, get them to not reproduce. Well, what the heck? I know that. Okay, Christianity was not some Jewish conspiracy to undermine the pagan masses and get them not to have kids, right? Uh, th this idea of not having kids and that sex is bad, you shouldn't even have sex with your spouse, right? That's very not Jewish, right? You'll find a thousand texts against it <laughs> in, in Judaism. I mean, that's, that's a benefit to the, to the, to the, uh, the Jewish power structure. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can look at this. No, it's not a benefit to the Jewish power structure, Right. Christianity, despite those aspects of its theory, has been natalist from the beginning, otherwise it would not have survived. Those sects of Christianity that are anti-natalist have died out, just as you would expect. It's happening um, today as well, because I, I, I do think that Christianity, the impulse of Christianity, is an impulse that you can see in a variety of different movements. And I am, in, on, I am fully on board with you in terms of conservation of the natural world. Uh, that being said, uh, you can also see some really toxic little drops of poison placed in that movement. Um, I, I, you know, granted, these are just anecdotal, but you know, you can find people who will do these confessional videos on TikTok or, or YouTube, whatever they're saying. You know, global warming is here, and this is why I have decided to never have children. And you know, you're welcome, world. You know, I'm producing population. Okay, I, I get that on some level, to be fair. But this highly intelligent, thoughtful, open-minded person is kind of exactly the type of person that we would want to reproduce. You know, the, the people living in abject poverty in a favela are not going to hear heed the warnings of global warming. Uh, they're just going to go. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, the very people who are so concerned about global warming, all right, those you know, socially aware people are the types you want to reproduce. All right, so... We're in a dysgenic spiral because people who are the most socially aware and the most intelligent and the most educated, all right, they're the ones who are least likely to reproduce. And those who are the least thinking, those who are the least contemplative, all right, they're the ones most likely to reproduce. So how do we encourage the better sorts to reproduce? and discourage right, those who we don't want to reproduce their bad character traits. Ah, oh, this is the magnificent Sydney Opera House to make you cavell the beautiful Friday afternoon in the city. Logan used to work on that bridge, mate. Okay, look at these beautiful seats. Look at that lovely golden hue. Okay. 
Let's get back to conversation with philosopher David Skurbina. Go and have a bunch of sex. Uh, understandably. Uh, but so it's, there is a kind of radical dysgenic poison that, that you can see that, that, that comes in these... Uh, it, it comes in these left-wing... I mean, I'm using the word left loosely here, but it comes... Do I walk on the streets at night where there are bars and clubs? Only a little bit. I've only done that accidentally. So I've kind of reverted to my 56-year-old self. I'm sure there are obnoxious tourists. I haven't encountered any. I haven't encountered any obnoxiousness. Am I heading to King's Cross later? No, I'm not heading to King's Cross later, mate. I'm heading to shore later, like a holy Jew. Comes in these movements, and you can just see someone almost in real time who has, might have had very good instincts, kind of naturally get poisoned. I, I could even go further in terms of the transgender issue and so on. I mean, the, these are whatever else you want to say about them. Uh, they are radically anti-natalist visions of the world. And yes, they are. Right, and I think it comes from Hellenic mystery cult religion. Yeah, there's probably some organized crime in Sydney, but not very much, and it's much better to have organized crime than disorganized crime. What you don't want is unorganized crime. So organized crime only kills people who are in the game. So there used to be a Jewish mob boss, Abe Saffron, I think was perhaps headquartered in they King's Cross. actually have an effect on the population, even in a fairly small way. That's, that's true. I mean, obviously there's different issues coming together here, but I mean, there's right. no doubt that the planet is massively overpopulated by humans. In fact, today, you know, maybe you know, today... Yes, there is a doubt. All right, it's not at all clear that the planet is uh, massively overpopulated by humans. Right, I think we can handle 8 billion. It's the 8 billion human day. You probably saw that, right? The, the UN today, uh, November 15th, they officially declared that today we don't have 8 billion. So this philosopher, David Skurbina, he, he wrote for... He, he ran for office for the Green Party. Man, I wish they'd turn down that music blaring in the background. Abe Saffron sounds like a character in an Evelyn War novel. So just one F, I believe, in Safe Saffron. I think he may have been Jewish. Historically, for most of the two million years of human existence, that number was about 50 million. Sometimes as low as one million. At one point down to a few tens of thousands. Yeah, organized criminals tend to have gang truces. They respect each other's territories. Less random shootings. Yeah, clean city. Look at this. You know, no trash, no graffiti. But certainly for the whole, for 99% of human existence, I mean, it was like, yeah, you know, a quarter of a few million. Yeah. And that's how the planet evolved. You know, the other life forms evolved, and we all kind of were in balance, and everything. You know, the typical kind of evolutionary story. And then we hit the industrial revolution, and zoom, you know, we, we monopolize ourselves. And yeah, of course, that throws everything out of balance. And now the planet is, in fact, massively overpopulated. Jim Bell. But you're right, you, know, you tend to have the people who volunteer to be fewer people are the ones that you wanted more of, and vice versa. You're getting yeah. younger, we're just the consumers and just the random producers. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, certainly independent moral Christians do. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, you kind of want to, you kind of want to bring that bit back. You kind of want to bring back the Christian message and say, you know, hey, masses, masses, you don't actually really need to have 12 kids, you know. Maybe one or two would be okay, and you're going to live forever. <laughs> so this guy, David Skurbina, yeah, the stream went down for 15 seconds, but this guy speaking, a philosopher, David Scavina, he wrote for the, he ran for office for the Green Party. He's also an active member of BDS, Boycott, Divest, Sanction Israel. And uh, he works at a university in Michigan. And he says that uh, 90% of the Arab students support BDS.
more than they want to have large families. If you if you pull people, they will say, oh, I want to have one child or, or two children. But understandably, I'm not casting judgment. I mean, particularly me, I'm not casting judgment. Um, they want to have sex. Um, so it just seems like uh, there could be some kind of reasonable solution to that, that that allows them to enjoy life. Sex is a part of life. Um, and to enjoy life, uh, but um, not to, to create situations that they can't certainly sustain and, and the world can't sustain. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's let's go back uh, to, to Christian. So was it, was it Paul who developed the innovation of bringing the Jewish message to the Gentiles. Um, was that kind of yes. his major innovation? Yeah. Yes. In fact, he says that explicitly, right? He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Right. But he took that on, his, on himself. For whatever reason, he felt the most confident and the most capable of, like, I know those Gentiles. I can speak their language. I know what motivates them. I will be. Yeah. Jim says that Abe Saffron, going back to the 1950s, 60s, maybe the 70s, was the most powerful organized crime gangster in Australia. We'll pitch this message to them. So he took that on, and he, that was kind of like... So, yeah, the Apostle Paul was the Apostle to the Gentiles. Right, prior to Paul, Jesus' movement was entirely aimed at uh, the Jews. Then Paul came along. Um, they had other people who were working on the Jews. So they, they, they kind of had a real problem in this internal Jewish community. They kind of so Abe Saffron ran King's Cross, which is like the vice... was the vice capital of Sydney. And... Australia used to have very strict censorship, anti-pornography laws, but uh, there are a lot of Jewish lawyers and publishers who managed to open up Australia's free speech laws and legalize pornography. And that really got going in 1969 with Portnoy's Complaint. So Portnoy's Complaint was initially banned in Australia, and then some Jewish lawyers got involved, and they managed to legalize literature like Portnoy's complaint and that led to the legalization of uh, pornography in general. Oh yeah. So Jews led the way opening up sexual expression in King's Cross and Abe Saffron was the, the king of vice in King's Cross. King's Cross was the, the vice the vice capital of Australia. Yeah, it's a very popular message. Tell people they can live forever. Like if you, that's your primary concern, your individual salvation, live forever. Christianity does that better than anyone. Why do you think it failed among Jews, and at least eventually? I mean, obviously the first Christians were Jews, but why did it fail? Or was there another story? Are we, did it just fail? Why did it fail with the Jews? Because it's so much the antithesis of the Jewish tradition. That God cannot become man. You don't get individual eternal salvation just by believing some things like individual salvation is not the focus in Judaism it's more community oriented and it's more this worldly oriented than next worldly so what Paul was selling is a heavily pagan Hellenic mystery cult religion with a Jewish loss yeah it didn't fail we're just a part of Jews Jews more than any other people are the most resistant to the claims of Christianity because Jews were the most likely to know the Jewish text, the Hebrew Bible, and recognize that uh, Christianity was not a complement to this text. I, I think Paul never, I think he was just, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Jesus, that was a tendency, don't you think? Or, 
Jesus, if, if we imagine a kind of minimal Jesus, but that is part of the my answer probably existed. Oh, that is? Yeah. Was, was he's, yeah, the Jews were like uh, Donald Trump. Their war heroes didn't get captured, right? Like, what kind of people glorify war heroes who are only heroic for getting captured? Right? That's not the, the Jewish perspective. Uh, Jewish heroes make a difference in this world, right? If you don't make a difference in this world, not a Jewish hero. Yeah, when you don't follow anything, all right, that when you don't succeed with anything, right, that was predicted that the Messiah would accomplish, all right, you're 0 for 50, all right, then uh, Jews aren't going to buy in. So, no, it's not a matter of, I think, Christianity is bunk. I'm, I'm sure Christianity is a valid road to God for many people. It's, a, it's one hero system among thousands of hero systems, and... Having a hero system is an absolute biological necessity. You can't live without a hero system. So, Christianity works for many people. Man, I'm trying to do a live stream here. Why did it have to blare music in the background? Yeah, so the anti-Jewish passages in the New Testament take place in the context of intra-Jewish disputes. Yeah, without Christianity, there'd be no 12 steps. 12-step movement comes very much out of American Protestant Christianity. So when I found myself back in churches, in Protestant churches, going to 12-step meetings over the past 11 years, I think, you know, how the hell did my life turn out this way? Never thought I'd have to enter a church again. Thought I completely left that behind. But my life goes full circle. Keep ending up at Protestant churches, going to 12-step meetings. So Jews have low murder rates, right? Jews don't tend to commit a lot of violent crime, but uh, they do tend to be verbally violent. So Mark was the first gospel written around year 70. Then Matthew was, was written about five, ten years later. Mark was written after Matthew, and then John was written around year 110 of the Common Era. It seems to be the most anti-Semitic. So yeah, you can imagine sort of the, the context brewing over time. 
guys, you're with the devil, and you know, blah, blah, blah. You can imagine that they, you know, like, well, you could imagine, like, the, a Democratic Party in Michigan or something, where at first they're like, all right, Marx, yeah, we're, we're good with Marx. Uh, you know, c- come on in and, you know, vote Democrat, come on in. And then four years later, they're like, you damn commies, get out of here. And it's just kind of a natural progression. But, but to imagine them as, like, you know, anti-left or something is just simply wrong. These are internal squabbles, um, as you say. Uh, so, okay, I, uh, we're almost an hour. I, let me... Let me ask one more question, and then I can open it up. I'm going to ask one more question about having more children. Uh, at the same time, atheism is certainly on the rise. Uh, just in my lifetime, the amount of people who are openly agnostic or atheist is remarkable. But even among Christians, I think atheism is among the rise. The degree to which, if you ask a churchgoer to describe God, the degree to which it's this kind of blob in the sky. This... So I've been talking with my 12-step sponsees, that uh, belief in God really necessarily does nothing, right? It's it's the your experience with God. Like many of my sponsees and I, we believed in God when we were still participating in our ridiculous addictions, and where we started to get recovery was when we got some kind of visceral experience of God. And the way that I get that primarily is by listening to twelve-step talks and attending twelve-step meetings. Uh, other people may get it through prayer and meditation, but there's all the world of difference in a practical sense between believing in God and having an experience of God, having a visceral connection with God, like getting wired up to God. Like if you've got a power source and you don't plug into it, just believing in the power source doesn't do anything for you. So I found 12-step tremendously helpful in learning to plug into the power source. Yeah, God is a verb. There's a whole theology about God as a verb guy with a beard looking out over us. It, it just, it seems, and the degree to which Christians aren't aware of their own religion, um, that they... So, even people who are religious lead, you know, far more secular lives than a hundred years ago. Because we increase non-religious explanations of around us. We, you know, work in an economy that's not regulated by religion. Right? Our world steadily becomes more neoliberal, more economically efficient, and there's you know less and less enchantment and magic in the world around us. They couldn't actually even tell you the most basic story uh, of the religion that they follow. It's actually pretty remarkable. Uh, there, there has been a kind of dumbing down, and we're kind of moving out of a middle-class society. Um, so what, what are your thoughts of these things moving forward? Because I, at least from my view, there seems to be a lot of countervailing movements. I, I could very well imagine out of this secular postmodern world a really strong fundamentalism arising out of it. So I don't see any way to reverse the steady decline in the power of religion. Right? I just don't see how that can be reversed in the, in the Western world. I just don't see how the Western world industrialized societies become more religious in the years ahead. Like we now have the first secular societies, Northern Europe, right? Protestant countries secularized before Roman Catholic ones because Protestantism has been refined to being more a matter of the heart than of practice. Uh, Catholicism retains ritual, so it retains some more elements of magic and mystery. The Northern European countries, the Scandinavian countries, are the first uh, overwhelmingly secular societies in human history. And... Uh, that hasn't been followed by a massive moral decline either. Like it used to be considered inconceivable how will a society survive if it's not religious, if it's not God-fearing. Well, it seems to go on pretty much as it did before.
拜拜。